Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Rob Bruss, and today on the show, we've got Dr. Corinne Devon. Now, Corinne is a commander in the United States Navy, a board-certified orthodontist, a speaker, and a beauty pageant queen, and a whole lot more. Now, if you've ever wanted to know what it takes to succeed across a number of different spectrums simultaneously, then this show is for you. Let's get started. Well, Dr. Corinne, welcome to the Goal In Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing marvelous. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm delighted to be here. You're very welcome. And you're dialing in from whereabouts on this uh, crazy planet of ours? Iwakuni, Japan. Uh, I'm currently stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni, and it is Super Bowl, even though it's Monday, it's Super Bowl Sunday for a lot of my Americans here watching the game right now. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Has it happened yet? Has the game been on yet? It just started about an hour ago. So we'll see if the Kansas City Chiefs are able to defend their uh, Super Bowl championship year number two in a row. So we'll find out in a few hours. Well, that's an absolute American tradition that is celebrated uh, pretty heavily here down under in Australia. I'm not sure that you realize that, but there's a lot of people that take a day off work to go and watch the footy in the pub in the middle of the day. That's what we call it here, footy, right? So uh, I don't know that a lot of Americans actually know that. Is that something of a tradition in your household? Or is that something you did when you were growing up as well? Actually, it, it wasn't so much of a tradition. It really depended on who the teams were because either oh. my family was very engaged if it was the team they wanted or they were very boycotting of it, of the teams were. But, you know, you find in America that you have someone like Tom Brady who was part of the New England Patriots and, well, now he's switched to another team. So, you know, I guess it depends on where your allegiance lies, if it's the actual city or if it's the team or if it's certain players that you just admire. Did you Have you got an allegiance to this year's uh, teams at all or not really? I, I don't actually, I, I feel bad saying it, but it's the honest truth. I have not been living in the United States for the last four years. So um, football for me is more soccer than actually throwing an actual football. But I think that's true in, in most parts of the world. Yeah, nice. And how long have you been in Japan for? I've actually only been here for about four and a half months, but it's my second time here. So the last time I was here, I was based in Yokosuka, Japan, which is in the greater Tokyo area with the Navy. And so this time I get to be with the Marine uh, Air Squad and it's just marvelous. I mean, every day, if you looked outside my window here, you would actually get quite a bit of an air show. Yeah, right. F-18s, JSFs, F-35s, what's, what's going on out there? All of the above, anything you can imagine. Um, the CAG, the Carry Air Group, uh, deploys out of here and it goes up with the USS Ronald Reagan when they go out on their missions. But when they come home, you definitely hear it and see it on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, very nice. And, and what's it like living in Japan? Is it they must be well used to you in that part of the world where you are. Do you, do you enjoy it? Do you, are you learning a little bit of language, some culture from last time? Do you remember it all? Yeah, so my Japanese is Skoshis. So if you were here, I would say Ohio gozaimasu, Genki Deska, Watashiwa Kurensan. And I definitely say I love being tall at five foot three. That is tall here in Japan and blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm definitely a flashlight. So the people I, I can't blend in to save my life, but they are respectful, they are kind, they are so welcoming. There's something that I feel that I definitely learn and always miss when I leave this country. Yeah, it's a beautiful place for sure. When I was first in the Royal Australian Navy in 1994, one of the very first trips that I did, uh, I, I joined HMAS Brisbane in Singapore. So I was lucky enough to fly up to Asia, join in Singapore. And it was at the time when they'd finished the exercise. So all of the work-related stuff had finished and we were going just on a flag-waving uh, little 
junket as you do when you're in the Navy. You go from port to port. And we were in a different port every couple of days. And one of the ports we went to was Nagasaki and all of the history and World War II and all that sort of stuff and, and what happened there. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And Nagasaki is in the very southern part of Japan and you, you kind of – uh, you drive right up the river and you park right at the very end of it's kind of like a cul-de-sac if you like that's what it sort of reminded me of but I remember uh, being alongside there in Nagasaki and and kind of just finishing work for the day and leaning on the guardrails of the ships and we were uh, unloading the ship and they were taking out all the fruit and veg and we'd had everything that you could possibly imagine you know like on a warship as it is you, you know you've been at sea and all the locals were there were marveling at all of the watermelons and all the fruit and veg that we had because at the time it was so expensive in Japan for those things and we were giving them some stuff and and whatnot and I was leaning on the guardrail there uh, talking to some of the locals or attempting to as a young bloke and this guy comes over and he goes he's completely Japanese looking fellow and he goes g'day mate how you going and I was like, <laughs> what? Well, g'day, how are you? And uh, yeah. he, he turns out he was from Melbourne. He grew up in Melbourne. His family was from Australia and he'd gone back to Japan uh, to visit some of his other family. And he was so hospitable. And he took us around Nagasaki and he took us out for dinner and he did oh. all these things. And I can remember just thinking, this guy has come down to the wharf to meet an Australian warship to say hello to some people. He found some random sailors, took them out on the on the cans and we were drinking beer and drinking sake and doing all sorts of stuff. And I just remember thinking, what an incredible place. What an in- I never encountered that anywhere else in the world when I was in the Navy. It was just amazing. It is so true. I have so many Japanese people who've helped me where I dropped my wallet or I couldn't hold something open and they don't know me or anything, but they will stop what they're doing to help you. And in fact, they'll constantly say, Gomen Nisai, which means I'm sorry, which is like, why are you sorry? I'm the irresponsible one. I'm the one not paying attention to what I'm doing. So it's it's quite it's quite marveling how um, they are just always, they always think of others before themselves. They're always in sense of service. So there's something to be said by that, their society. Yeah, it's a beautiful culture. Now, you, you've been fortunate enough to travel the world, both uh, with your family when you were a bit younger, because your dad was in the Navy as well, but for yourself as well, is there is there a standout place on this crazy planet that we live on that yeah, I mean, I always love to ask that of people that have traveled the world like you have, because you go to places in the Navy, and I know because I was in the Navy, that you just wouldn't pay money to visit. And sometimes they are the most exotic, exotic, beautiful, unexpected places that you've ever been to on the planet. And uh, I've got a couple of those that I share with people from time to time, but I'd be interested to hear what your ones are. I would say Cambodia and Thailand would probably be the ones that were very unexpected, but also very fascinating between the history and Cambodia. I learned about the killing fields. I saw Sam Reap and I wonder how Angkor Wat is not one of the seven wonders of the world with its history and its background with the Hindu religion. And in Thailand, I really enjoy going to Chiang Mai outside of Bangkok. I mean, that was just a city full of so much culture, so much life. And I just couldn't believe how grateful they were. We remembered giving, I remember giving my tourist that we, our tour guide, giving her like 3,000 baht, which is really equivalent to about $30. And she wouldn't accept it after being our tour guide for a week. It was too much money. She wouldn't accept it, which for you and I were like $30. That's that's not even a, a full meal at some places. <laughs> yeah. like. If anything, I, I feel like I should give you more. And so both those places, I would I would love to go back, especially Thailand and just see more of the history and experience the food. I mean, the food there, you'll have some of the most exotic fruits and vegetables you've ever had. And I believe in Cambodia, we got pretty adventurous with our pellets. We just made sure it wouldn't kill us, but we had ants and frogs and spiders <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. And we just like, oh, it tastes like chicken. Or we just at least tell ourselves that because we really wanted to fully immerse ourselves in the whole experience there. 
Yeah, I love it. That's really cool. I think many Australians listening to this podcast would uh, be well familiar with Thailand. That's one of our favourite holiday destinations here in Australia, Bali and Thailand. Did you have you managed to have you gone to Bali before? I haven't. That's that's on my list, but uh, I'm I'm waiting for Uncle Sam to allow me to leave Japan right now before I'll, before I can do that. <laughs> how, how long do your postings last? How long do you rotate in and out for? Um, actually, so they're they're usually two years, and sometimes much Italy. My previous tour, I was there for three years, which was the first time I've ever had a full tour. Because of the nature of my job, I am a board certified orthodontist. I've actually moved about seven times in the last fourteen years with the military, so I, I never get a chance. Once I feel comfortable, I already know they're going to move me right again. How, how does that feel? Is that that could be really unsettling for a lot of people? Because I think moving uh, moving house or moving home is one of the most stressful things that you can do. But I know from being in the military, it's a bit of a sport. It's kind of fun in some ways. I made, I used to make a sport out of it, and it was no big deal, sort of thing. And I think most people in the military would agree with that. But how do you cope with it? Is it stressful for you, or not really? I would definitely say that for the most of my life, it was a sport and it was good because you never had a chance to collect too much and you would spend your money more on experiences and trips than you would on actual things. So I enjoyed that part of it. I would definitely say moving in the middle of a pandemic from one part of the world to the other was probably the most stressful move because I went without my stuff and living out a suitcase for five months. Oh gosh. So that that part was a little stressful. And then they lost one of my shipments, which they found recently. So I think that part was the the stressful part of it. But then I, I have to remember, I have a job which I love. I serve a group of population that is grateful for my service. And I have my health and you know, I, I get to you know, have people that really catch my bullets, I get to take care of them and give them beautiful smiles. So life is pretty good. If you if you think of all the chaos that COVID has brought, if, if that's all it was, is a few lost items and, and a crazy move from one part of the world to the other, uh, that's nothing compared to what we have to do day to day in the military or the other things they throw our way. Yeah, it's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? And and sometimes I find myself getting really frustrated with the most ridiculous things in the world that just don't don't matter. And you got to check yourself every now and then and to do that. And I just go, I don't know about you, but I discovered that... Uh, my life in the military was a thousand miles an hour. There's always something going on. You know, even though it was half a lifetime ago now for me, since I've been out, I've been out for a long time now, but but that carries on with you for a long time. And that's part of the transition process you'll find out when you get out eventually is that <laughs> you're just like on the go all the time and everyone's like, man, what's why are you in such a rush all the time? Like, what's, what's the heart? It's, don't you know I've got all of this stuff to do? Come on, man, you know. Yes. That's, that's kind of funny. But I feel like I have that level of intensity sometimes. And what I do to stop that these days as somebody that's kind of matured and moved on from that is uh, I have a little morning ritual. I have a little meditation in the morning that I do, no matter what. And that kind of eases me into the day and it's nice and gentle. Do you have a morning routine like that? 100%. It started when I was in a residency and then it has just been modified over the years, depending on where I'm located. So my morning routine here in Japan, because I'm in the land of the rising sun, it actually starts with a workout. So I actually turned one of the rooms in my house into I've collected weights, mats, a Peloton bike. And that's usually how I start my day. I don't really drink coffee. That's really my dose of endorphins is waking me up and really just making sure reviewing what I have to do for the day on a list. And I meal prep usually the week before. So that way it's just also making sure I feel my body with good food. I, I learned very quickly in residency that you can't live off of licorice and candy and popcorn as fun it is <laughs> to eat all those foods. It does catch up with you. And when you're working 12, 14 hour days or you're sleep deprived, 
that food is kind of having good food in your body is what help you get by. So for me, that's definitely my warning routine and, and listening to your podcast on my way to work. I, I really enjoy it when I can catch a little bit before the gate guard tells me to turn off my radio. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like that as well. I've always got something in my ears, learning something. I, I try and, I try and do the order of get up, get out of bed, train, exercise, and then do that little meditation breakfast and then some sort of learning. I always like to say that um, I've done probably more than most people would do in an entire day before 9am. It's it's so true. My day actually starts at around four o'clock in the morning. It takes me about 10 minutes to get out of bed and people laugh at me, but when you're up before the rest of the world's up, it gives you a chance to get a head start and do something good for you. Because if you do something good for yourself that you enjoy, you're gonna start your day on a pause note, you're gonna feel good. I mean, no one ever regretted going to the gym said no one ever. No one ever regretted doing that meditation or feeling like they're crushing their to-do list, even if it's only one or two items on that list. So um, I, every, every successful person I know has some sort of morning routine or something that they do, like you said, where they'll get more done in a day than some people will get done in a month or a week. Yeah, you got to be careful of sharing that too much, right? Because that is right there is the secret to success. That's the secret <laughs> to this multi, multitasking simultaneously and getting all of these things done is get up before the rest of the world and, and go and own your day. Before we move on, Corinne, I just wanted to ask you uh, a, a little a little bit of a personal question there because you've traveled the world and you've been to all of these places, but I can tell that you're, uh, I can tell by your accent that you're American, right? Uh, yes. and, and I get that. <laughs> where, where, do you, where do you call home? I mean, you've lived in all of these different places and you travel around all the time. Where is home for you? Does it, is, it, is your heart still back home in the States? My heart, my home is definitely back in the States, 100%. I, there's been only a few countries where they believe I'm from that country, France being one of them, although they'll say, bonjour, mademoiselle, you know, je vous quad, you know, and I say about 10 more words in French and then they, my American accent starts slipping through. But yes, for me, home is back in the United States. I am definitely a West Coast girl. Uh, California was the one place that my father got stationed back to every other duty station in a place that I've been stationed quite a bit, even though um, I have only been there probably a third of my life. It's it's probably the place that I feel most at home. But gosh, you know, the, you can say this too, the beauty of being in the military is you, you get to live and experience in places that you never would ever consider that could also feel home. So I have a big friends base uh, where I went to residency in Texas and I could, I could feel like that could be home for me some days soon, but we'll see. We'll see. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. All right, let's take a, a little break. We'll be right back. Well, if this is your first time here at the Go All In podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. It's great to have you back. And as I like to say all the time, I love our repeat offenders here on the Go All In show. So thank you for your loyalty. Now, if you like what you hear on today's podcast, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. That way you'll always have some motivation and some Go All In love right there in your pocket. And don't forget, if you're loving what our guest has to say today, to give that podcast a little bash that share button for us. Bash the share button on your app and share it with your friends and your family. All right, let's get back to today's show. Well, Corinne, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? 
don't accept that there is one path to get to success. So I'll give you an example in my life. I was a communications major and I wanted to go to dental school and I tried being a science major and let's just say calculus, physics, parts of biology and chemistry did not agree with me. And so I had to retake a lot of those courses, but I learned that I didn't have to be a science major to get into dental school. I could be any major I want. So why don't I major in something that I enjoy, that I flourish, that I thrive at, and just do the prereqs. And that was something that really helped me get into dental school. Now I would be lying to tell you, I took these courses one time I got in. I actually took some of these courses twice and then even a third time to get the grades I needed to get into dental school. And this was also having school counselors tell me that I didn't have a shot at getting in. So I learned and did some research about these schools and I thought of, okay, what can make me stand out from hundreds and hundreds of applicants that apply? And I did a dissertation with my major about why, about what strategies dentists use with children in public health care because at the end of the day, let's be honest, when you go to your dentist, you don't ask them, what grade did you get in your O-chemistry lab? Or how well do you know the periodic table of elements? You think of someone who's compassionate, someone who listens and makes you feel good and really has your trust and is just, you know, embolizes that benevolence and, and gives you a sense of also autonomy. And so for me, I knew that was something that I really wanted to thrive and focus and yeah, got into dental school. So that was definitely something from um, my past where I would just tell people, don't have to do what everyone else is doing to get there. Make your own way. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, beautifully, beautifully said. I have another podcast called uh, that I do with my partner called The Wedding Hero. And The Wedding Hero, because we have a photography business and the, the vast majority of things that we talk about are wedding planning because we've been doing that for 20 years. It's been a long time. So one of the things that we talk about on that all the time is make sure you plan and do your wedding your own way. Don't worry. Don't conform to what everybody else is telling you to do. And it's it's such an important life lesson. It's so important in so many different aspects of a person's life and their decision-making process because it's really easy to get caught up in the way everyone else wants you to do something. And when you get caught in that trap, it feels like you start to lose a little bit of control of your life. Oh, I have to do this or I have to do that in order to get what it is that I want. But you don't have to do anything. We live in a free world, in a free society, and there's ways to get around those roadblocks and ways to get around those barriers. And that is such an important lesson that you shared. Tell me, once you got into dental school, you went, you worked your tail off to get there and you got there, was it everything that you thought or did you get there and go, oh my God, I've bitten off more than I can chew? Oh my gosh, 100% the latter. It definitely got <laughs> off more than I can chew. I mean, I remembered my first anatomy class where the teacher's going through things and I'm like madly writing down notes. And I looked to one of my colleagues to the right and he's like not even taking a note. And he's like, oh, I already studied this. This was like part of my major. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is brand new to me. So oh. I was, I felt like I was starting below zero and then everyone else had a leg above me. And I mean, it was very challenging. A lot of hours in the library, lots of Jamba juices. I remember that we would have as our like snack slash dinner, just these liquid drinks to try to get us through. But I, I also remembered that, you know, when things come to us easy in life, that we take it for granted. Mm. We don't maybe as put as much work into it versus if something doesn't come to us naturally or we don't have that innate talent, that raw talent, we got to put a lot more work and effort to it. And when we do, I feel like we appreciate more and it's almost like this momentum that builds. And for me, that was very, very true, especially in dental school. I battled test anxiety and, 
it was, I was very, very lucky that I had a professor who was from Britain and uh, her husband was part of the Royal Marines and we, she just, and I connected and she really helped me get through that. And I took oral exams my first semester to learn how to get through test anxiety. So again, I was not always doing that scantron shape. Fortunately, I had some faculty and great mentors along the way who really wanted to help me succeed and help me get through that hump. Yeah, that's, a, that's another key point. And here you are, you, you've been on the show for like 20 minutes and there's just like value bombs, here they, here they come. <laughs> you, you know, you, you said before, like, don't, you don't have to conform, but you don't have to do it by yourself either. Uh, no. and, and, and it's very easy to allow yourself to feel isolated when you've committed to something. So, you know, the, the idea of going all in and committing to something is all very exciting, but then often the reality is just like, this sucks. And, and I do know from a lot of the coaching work that I do with different clients is a lot of people just let themselves off the hook 10 minutes after they decided they were going to go all in because they never realized how hard it was going to be. But that's because they don't plan. They didn't plan to have a mentor. They didn't have a plan if something was going to go sideways on them. And you really need that assistance. And there's absolutely no reason for you to be doing things in your life by yourself, no matter how hard they are. It doesn't matter what they are, you know, whether that's studying at dental school or, or trying to build a business or trying to mend your relationship or something like that. You just don't have to do that by yourself. Tell me about your mentors. I, I'd, I'd like to know some more about that. They, you, you mentioned that one of the professors was uh, was British. Did that make a difference? Were they like softer and kinder to you, were they? Because they were British. <laughs> no, in fact, they were much harder. I mean, I, oh. this is her, Dr. Gillian Galbraith, and she was the woman that would have a child in the morning and then came back to school to teach in the afternoon. I hardcore. mean, she was... <laughs> It was very hardcore. Um, so she was a fantastic mentor. Another mentor I had, her name was Louisa Sanders, who is still someone very dear in my heart. Her and her husband both have taught, retired from her dental school. In fact, she now works at the prison system because she just loves dentistry. So she takes out, she does uh, prosthodontic work, which are like dentures for inmates. And they just really saw that I cared, that I wanted to be part of this profession. For me, it wasn't about being number one in my class, but really what I could give to others. And give that smile. And so the beauty of having some of these mentors is that you grow with them, but then also our mentorship has changed over the years where uh, Louisa and Mike Sanders, um, which are both former military as well as uh, dental school teachers are, are now almost like family to me. I We send each other birthday gifts, cards, their daughter has visited me in Japan. So it's just... It, it, I don't know, for me, it's just almost an extension of family. I, um, I'm just very, very grateful. But mentors I have today that I, I go to, to go back to your question is, in the military, I have two very big mentors for me. One is Captain Rebecca Hortensio Lee. She's actually the deputy of the Dental Corps, second in command, mm -hmm. you could say, of our Dental Corps. And she really pushes me on how to be a military officer and lead from the front and also think of the enterprise. And that's really important for me to get into executive medicine, to be a good leader, is that you have to think beyond of what the military has done for you, but what you can do for that specific unit and actually almost change your leadership styles of, of to match your unit. So for example, at my previous command, I was department head and I had people who were 10 years younger than me and 20 years older than me, but I still had to be in charge of them. And you can imagine the way I communicated, the way I had to get like the mission done was very, very different with these people. I mean, just put technology in the realm and that just definitely threw things um, for a wrench, but she's one. And also Captain Scott Curtis, who's an orthodontist. He is the one of the people that said I had the person out of an orthodontist and got me into this wonderful profession where I get to get, make people smile for a living. Yeah, very nice. Can you remember, can you remember when it was that you actually got there. I know 
I know for me, whenever I've done a course or I've been studying something or I've been working through something, there's, there comes a time where you're like, ah, oh, the, the penny dropped for some reason. Like, why did I miss that? And I have these like overwhelming feelings of, I'm so glad that I put up with all of that struggle and I've tried so hard because right at this point here, it's become worth it. Was it when you graduated uh, dental school or was it along the way where you started to get ahead of the curve and you started to get ahead of the exams and ahead of the learning and you were starting to get there? Can you remember what that was? Yeah, so in dental school, when I master taking oral exams and Dr. Galbraith told me a little trick of covering the multiple choice and writing the answer. All of a sudden I went from failing every single midterm to graduating cum laude from dental school. Nice. Like it just started clicking and, and residency was the same way. Uh, and, and just so people know in residency programs, especially in the military, there was three branches of service, army, air force, and Navy, which they all have their own culture. I was the only female in the program and I had faculty that didn't care how early it was in the morning, late at night, it was like drinking out of a fire hose. It was a whole new way of learning. But I remembered once it clicked that I remember material when I say it out loud or put in different colors, it was just like, oh my gosh, that was like the missing link. And it just felt so good. It felt like all that hard work, all that blood, sweat and tears along the way really made a difference. And and I've had that in different points in my life, even training, um, getting ready for pageants or, you know, facing um, a leadership hurdle. And it's also learning to be very introspective. You, If you ask for people's opinion or ask for people's help, be prepared. They're going to be really critical of you. And you know what? You just got to sit there and, and listen as hard as it is. You want to jump in and say, oh, well, I had this going on in my life. Or, you know, I, I was not feeling 100%. Nope, just take it in because, you know what? They are taking time to help you be better. And that to me is huge. It's when your credits stop talking to you, that's when I kind of get worried like... Do they not care? Is there something more I should be doing? You know, it, it's it's tough. Yeah. I, I love it when people can give me some really great constructive criticism. It makes me feel like they want me to do better and I want to do better. Yeah, it's beautifully said. And, and it's and it's. I think it's such a strong and solid reminder. You've got such a great way of articulating uh, the message that I'm trying to get out of you there. And, and you answered that question beautifully. I just think that you the human mind and your potential as an individual is boundless you have so much potential and so much to give but you seem to be constrained by all of these outside influences in the world and it's like you said when you when the penny dropped for you and you were just you were learning and you were just reciting and it was like coming easy and it's like bang 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 it's such an empowering feeling to have that and i think that we forget as people we get caught up in the minutiae of day-to-day activity in life that you are an incredibly powerful creator and you can do, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, your education standards, you can do anything that you apply your mind to with determination, application and the right mentors and the right people around you, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. So going all in and committing to something, yeah, it can be scary. Yeah, it can be really hard, but whatever you apply your mind to, you can. And I think for some reason in this in this world where everybody is wrapped in cotton wool and everybody's offended by everything else, this can be a forgotten thing. It's, it seems people seem to have forgotten that amongst all the offense and amongst all of this 
craziness that we have going on in our world that, hey man, if you just concentrate on yourself, you can achieve amazing things. And that's a real great reminder that you've, you've shared with us there, Corinne. So thank you for that. If somebody was listening to you here on the front end of the podcast and they're thinking, oh, well, it's all good for you. You're a commander in the Navy and you're so far down the road with your career. I'm just kicking off and I'm just starting. If somebody's standing on the precipice of a, of a giant commitment like you had to make with dental school, what would you say to them to encourage them? Well, if they want to go to dental school, I would tell them, know their why, know why they really want to do it and make sure they, they, they're like totally invested into it because there's going to be times where they're going to want to give up. There was times I want to give up and anyone along the journey is going to want to give up and they need something to remind themselves. And I would definitely say in residency, some of the best advice I got was from my big sister, my big brothers that were here ahead of me. It's like, you know, even if you feel that the, the world is against you, you know, that there is a hundred people that would give the right arm to be in that spot. There's all these people that would immediately take your spot in line. And you're also getting paid more than any president in the country and accruing time and serving our military. So there was all these positive things that just kind of weighed out that one off day or that one bad day. Cause let's be honest, we all have rough and crazy weeks. We all have, you know, days that just went a ride. I would be lying if I was not immune to that, but it's more of just, you know, Hey, acknowledge it is what it is. It's a wash. Tomorrow's a new day. And I'm going to start on a new foot. And I think that's just, that's normal. That's being human. And, yeah. and even with COVID, I mean, there's, there's things that sometimes get me down. I would be lying to say that, you know, every day wasn't like, you know, roses and sunshine, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a real thing for sure. Yeah. It's beautifully said. One, one of the things that uh, men from all cultures all over the world. And uh, as I say this, you'll go, yeah, yeah, of course I know plenty of guys like that, especially being in a male dominated environment. A lot of guys uh, fail to recognize when they need to ask for help particularly when they've committed to something and they're, they're out there in the public, I'm going to do this and I'm going to win and I'm going to, and they're struggling with it. It can be a bit embarrassing for a guy to, and their ego gets in the way where, oh gosh, I, I really need some help here. And often men don't know how to put their hand up and ask for help when they should. And often they do it way too late. If you just had have asked for some help and some assistance or some mentorship earlier on in the process, you'd be so much better off than where you are right now and one of the things that I've learned and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well is to ask not ask for help early and often but just to have conversations often with the people that are going through the same things as you at the same time you're going through them and that way it doesn't feel like this this little thing that's happening to you right now is not going to snowball out of control into something that's a real problem for you in a week's time it's a little thing now you can address it you can share it with one of your friends a trusted partner somebody that you you can confide in and i think that's a really sensible way to ask for help particularly when things when the decision making process is hard or maybe you feel like your ego's on the line a little bit you've, you've got to have the right people around you right 100%. If you show me the five people you surround with, I will show you your future. And something that I always like to do for, you know, everyone that I lead is have an open door. And I always ask them if they want to have the conversation stay between us versus allowing their a leading petty officer, their senior enlisted leader know about it. And if they do, great. And if not, then it stays in these four walls. And I feel that when people know that their information is not going to be broadcast, it's not going to be shared, sometimes they can be a bit more honest. Yeah. And I always tell people, if you want to come to me and it's about you, but you don't want to make it about you, just say it's your friend. Say it's a family member. Say it's a cousin. I won't know. 
And yeah. for all I know, it could really could be your brother or your sister that's going through this. You don't even have to make it about you. And I'm more always, I'm always willing to listen and kind of find a way because there's everything is figure outable. There is nothing in this world that cannot be figured out. I mean, look, we are in the middle of a pandemic and there's how many hundreds of vaccinations that are getting ready to be given. I mean, it's just the science behind some of the stuff is just incredible. It just, and, and honestly, it took a pandemic for some of that technology to be written. So what, I mean, what does that tell you in a world where sometimes people lost hope? There's always a way to figure out and uh, no matter how small and insignificant may be. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. I just wanted to to pull on that leadership thread there a little bit in this segment of the show because uh, as a commander in the United States Navy, you're in a, a reasonably senior role there. Um, and you're, as you mentioned, you were a department head, you're dealing with a lot of people. How many people are in your department at the moment? 30, I believe. We have a staff of 70 at our clinic. Um, I'd have to double check the exact numbers, but it's anywhere between 25 to 30 if I'm just going off the top of my head. So, so, so a lot. <laughs> what, what, what type of, you mentioned there before, you know, you're talking to, to people that are 10 years your junior and then some people that are, are quite a bit older than you as well. What type of training do you get in there for that, that communication piece? Is there courses that the US Navy puts you through? I know in the Australian military, there's a course for bloody everything, um, you know, <laughs> and and, and by I, PowerPoint, yes. <laughs> oh my God, I've done, done so many courses. And looking back at that, I kind of, as someone a bit older, I think, wow, that was like pretty good in a workplace to have so much training and, and continual training like that. It's really good. But at the time when you're going through it, it's like, oh my God, they're going to put me into another course and I'm going to have to sit here and deal with all this crap again like that. Did, have, have you done some leadership courses and some additional training beyond what it is in your profession as well? Absolutely. You know, I, I'd love to learn. I love to study, especially things that I feel that will not only just serve me in my job and my role, but also in other areas of my life. And, and I tell this because these, these are my views and not the views of the Department of Defense, but they the Navy does provide us some leadership courses. I'm really hoping, knock on wood, that I can go to one later this year. But what I've also done that was really a game changer for me, and I've opened up about this the last couple of years, is I actually got a relationship coach about 2015, so the last six years. And some people are like a relationship coach, is that like a life coach, empowerment? I'm like, it's kind of all wrapped in one. And it was something that was for one area of my life that has actually trickled into other areas of my life. I have better relationships with my family. I have better relationships with people I work with. I learn how to be very introspective and understand that sometimes the way people may communicate, it's not reflection on me, but it's a reflection on things going on with them and how to still navigate different styles in order to get the mission done. And that doesn't come without a lot of being out, you know, in my comfort zone. I'm most often outside of my comfort zone where I'm just kind of figuring out as I go, where I'm writing the book as I'm reading it. But when you can be confidently vulnerable to the people that you're in charge of and really let them know, hey, you know what? That's a great question. I really don't know the answer, but let's go find out. Or let's figure out a way to get to yes. I know you've been told no, but now we know the reasons why they say no. Let's find a reason where you can get to yes. Because if we've already squashed all those reasons, then we've kind of eliminated their argument. And very often being a leader, it means that you have to care about others more than you know that they care about you. Because as leaders, we give away all the credit, but we take all the responsibility. And people forget that when, they, when you're in charge, those lessons that you have to learn along the way. And it's, it's also admitting when you're wrong and doing so in front of a large group of people and being very humbled. And it's, it's definitely an evolution. And I would say, you know, you're never really done being a leader. Um, even, you know, Machiavelli, the prince, I'm not sure if you ever read 
that book with it's better to be feared or better to be loved by your people. And to me, at the end of the day, you know, fear can only go so far, but love, that is where I see service members catch bullets for each other, do stuff for each other out of their kindness of heart. Even coming here to Japan, I had a young, uh, not a young couple, but a, a couple that had, I felt were young at heart that really helped me get settled and established um, when we didn't know what services are going to be open or closed because there was just, a, um, we had a recent uprise of cases in our mm. region. So for me, I mean, that I feel like truly embodies of when you're a good leader of how the fruits pay its benefit down the road as well. Yeah, it's uh, beautifully, beautifully articulated. Maybe we can bring you back on to talk about a uh, about leadership, just specifically about that, because that's one of my favorite topics of all. So but let's put a, a pin in that one and let's take a little break. Of course. Corinne, right at the top of the show, you kind of, you, you let the cat out of the bag, then the secret to your success, well, it's a secret to my success, I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's getting up early and owning the day on the front end of the day, and you're a, a really busy person, you've got a lot of things going on at work, but you also have a lot of extracurricular activities that are going on as well, so as a speaker, doing those speaking engagements, not so much of it these days with COVID, but that's going to come back sooner or later as well, but you're yes, also a beauty pageant queen, you, you're the first beauty pageant queen that's been on the Goalie podcast. Have I said that even right? I don't know anything about beauty pageants. Help me out here. Oh, I am truly honored to be. And I will tell you, there is a lot of great female leaders who are also our pageant queens that I could send you right. And a few also in the military as well. Oh, nice. So I, uh, yes, pageant queen, beauty queen, it's all the same to me. I, you know, I'm just grateful to be part of the group. And, and how I came in, into that group was by a complete dare by someone who told me I couldn't do it. I never would dream that something that would evolve 16 years later would be something I was still a part of. Um, but I'm really grateful and, and really humbled and the lessons that I've learned along the way. And I think that's the beauty of our extracurricular activities. If, if you get a lot out of it where you enjoy the people you surround yourself with, you feel that they, you know, help you flourish in other parts of your life. And you can see how it can help you in your day-to-day -day job, your relationships with your family, just even you as a person, you want to keep doing it. And that's what pageants have been for me. I, I'm really, really excited that I had won my last pageant and I, I used the grant for a TED talk coach and speech that I can't wait to release once we are allowed to have conferences and get together in large groups again. But it's, um, uh, it's definitely much more than, you know, asking for world peace and starting a swimsuit on stage. It's way more than that. And as someone in the military, I know you had physical fitness as I imagine you guys had to do lots of push-ups or running or lifting lifting weights what is it for australia that you had to do for your physical fitness test what do they require and was it the same for the navy and the army i'm intrigued to hear that well i gotta say back in the day when i was in the navy there was a zero requirement for fitness at all it was uh pretty relaxed but i was in the old school navy uh back in the day like that but the job that i had the ancillary job that i had as a as a ship's diver required a fairly high degree of physical fitness because you're jumping off the side of a warship and you're doing that in all sorts of different circumstances so you had to be pretty fit to do that and I was a young bloke anyway, so I was fit as it was. I played sport all the time and, and whatnot. But in the infantry, in the Australian Army, uh, the fitness standards, 
you know, by any standard, most normal people of, you know, age between 18 and 25 years old could easily pass the, the army fitness uh, assessments. You know, when you start talking about paratrooper type stuff, you kind of go up another level, up another notch. But it's really, in the scheme of things, it's really not that hard. Uh, with a bit of application, you know, you got to do, I think, 60 push-ups from memory. You've got to be able to do 100 sit-ups. You've got to be able to do, I think, 10 chin-ups. It's all very, very simple. And even these days, I can out-push-up and out-sit-up and out-chin-up virtually anyone that's half my age. Um, so, you know, it's really not that hard to do. So w- what about for you? And did you, ha- you must have had to train like a crazy person for these pageants. Oh, absolutely. I'm in better shape for the pageants than I am for any physical fitness just for the Navy. Way better than your job. Yeah, I tell that to all of the people in the Navy who make fun of me. I'm like, all right, let's see you get in a swimsuit, get on stage. Yep. (laughs) Nope, you don't want to do it? Okay. Well, well, as you know, obviously diet plays a huge role in it. I mean, that's, I would say it's more diet than fitness, but yeah, for the Navy, we just have to do a mile and a half run Mm. or swim. Uh, They've added the cycle and uh, they've also added the rowing machine. And this year they're actually doing a plank. So I'm working up my plank to about be about three minutes and 30 seconds to max it out because to me, there's only one way to get it is outstanding. And then we have to do so many push-ups in two minutes. Um, so you definitely have to do some training for it, but I feel that any person, any age can do it. It's just, honestly, your body, your, your mind's going to give out before your body does. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. true with almost anything in life. But yes, I, I started training. That's when I started working out with a trainer, uh, really learning how to use machines. And I will tell you what even sparked that even more was when I was on deployment in Iraq with one of my good friends who was my battle buddy. He showed me how to properly use machines. And that wasn't until I was about 29 years old that I actually learned the proper way of working out. And there's something to be said, if, if professional athletes, these athletes who are God willing, we'll hope have the Olympics here in Tokyo this summer. They all have personal trainers and we all know it's not because they're not in phenomenal shape, but there's something to be said by having someone push you that extra harder, the extra. And that's what pageants have given me, especially in that realm. They've definitely helped me in public speaking, going into boardrooms, dealing with all sorts of audiences who you have no idea what they preconceived to just even handling things under pressure when you're asked kind of tough questions on stage that's televised mm. and you know that they are literally dripping on every word. And if you mess up, guess what? You don't forget it. It's going to be on YouTube for many years. Let's be honest. That's what's happened to unfortunately to some of my colleagues. Have, have you made some, you must've made some mistakes along the way and going, oh my God. And you, you, in, in a public scenario, you've got to get over yourself quickly. And when you make a mistake publicly, you really got to go, oh, well, I said that I made that mistake. And you, you have to, well, my experience is you got to own it. It's like that leadership thing you said. If you make a mistake in front of your team, and I know I've done, I put my hands up and go, hey, you, everyone knows that like I'm not the person to be doing this job. And I made that mistake. That was supposed to be your decision. You would have made a much better decision than me. Sorry about that, everyone. I just kind of own what I do wrong and I move on from it quickly. And people are kind of like, oh, all right, man, whatever. And then they just get on with it and they never hold it against you. But if you make a mistake, and try and hide that mistake and you try and blame somebody else or you try and offload it to somebody else with the responsibility of it, that can come back to bite you badly. And I know in a public sense that can, if you own it straight away, you kind of let it go straight away as well. Did you make some errors doing the beauty pageant thing? Oh my gosh, so many. I would say one of the biggest errors that I met in my very first pageant is I wore gold. And as you, I know that the, this your audience is listening to this, um, whether it's on iTunes or Spotify, but I am blonde hair and blue eyed and gold on me may be great in person, but on stage, I look completely whited out. So <laughs> Didn't that work. was just a wrong, wrong color. <laughs> 
Hands down, we'll never do that again. I, I have a beautiful red gown that I wear on stage that I've worn many times. And that is definitely, I, I uh, definitely light up in color. So that was definitely a fashion faux pas that I learned early on. But I, I would say another thing that I learned early on is you have to really have an opinion and not try to give people what they think they want to hear. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Stand for something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you actually have to stand for something, but you do so in a very polite, respectful way. Mm. So being in the military, being in healthcare, there is lots of questions I've been asked about in the past of, you know, uh, former president sending troops to Afghanistan, what my thoughts were, especially oh. when I had just got back from that same place three Gosh. weeks later, three weeks <laughs> earlier, or, you know, what my feelings were on, you know, socialized healthcare, or just all sorts of things where it's very tricky to answer the question and not offend someone that one of the judges. So what I've learned, you know, in that, in that strategy and one of the strategies I learned with from pageant coaches, which again, definitely recommend having a coach, <laughs> like you said, in any part of your life was that, you know, you start with some of the, you start with something positive that you can acknowledge that most people agree on, because, you know, I would, I would say that any of these ideas, anything that comes out, you know, people's heart is the right place. And sometimes they just don't matriculate or end up that way. You also insert your opinion, how you feel on it. And then you also end on something where most people can agree on because in the, the day, there's things that we would all love to have, but the reality of having them comes at some sort of cost or price. And if we don't acknowledge it, then we're not being transparent. Yeah. Well, well said from the coach to you, to the audience. That's beautifully, <laughs> beautifully articulated. Karina, I was really excited to, uh, when you reached out to me and asked to come on the show and, and I was really excited to have you on the show today. And I, I kind of alluded to it at before we press the record button here today. And the reason for my excitement was partly because I was really excited to meet you and a, a fellow <laughs> sailor uh, and, and an American as well. That's kind of cool. Thank you, sir. So so that was all really cool. But the thing that I was most looking forward to is talking about this topic now that I want to cover, which is the, the topic of female empowerment, because it's important to me with my 14-year-old daughter. And all dads out there with little girls would know that eventually that little girl grows up and she's no longer attached to your hip anymore. And my daughter was one of those girls, like she's just, I had this empty nest when she turned 13 because suddenly she's in high school and she's out with her friends and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta go find something to do on the weekend because she doesn't want to hang out with me anymore. And yeah. it, it was kind of, it's kind of funny, but not funny at the same time. And I feel like she she comes and goes with me and she's, she's around like, like we've been together our entire lives, you know, but she has this life going on now, but she feels a bit guilty about not spending time with me. And I make fun of that by going, oh, you never spend any time with me like this. And we play on that. But I recognize, you know, all jokes aside, I recognize she's at a really impressionable age where my job is to show her that she can do anything that she sets her mind to. And like all parents, all parents say that to their kids, right? If you want to be an astronaut, you just got to go to school and study hard and you can be an astronaut, you know. But the reality is there's very few people that become astronauts, you know. And she came to me and said she wanted to be an astronaut. I'd like to say, listen, you know, maybe you need to dial back your expectations and have a bit of a, a realistic view of the world because not everybody can do something like that, you know. It's got to be in context. But one of the things that I kind of... I recognized in what your, your, your profession is that in the Navy as a commander, there's not that many women in the Navy. That's the first thing. The next thing is there's not that many women in dentistry in the Navy. And then there's not many people that are orthodontists and there's not many people that reach the rank that you've reached. So you're in a really heavily male dominated environment. And I don't want to make this podcast about gender or something sexist or anything like that. 
you still have to you still have to compete with all of those things. And I think it's a really important, I think you've got an important message to share in and around that. And I wanted Danielle to hear that from somebody who's achieved something like that. Can you, can you offer some comments there for me? Absolutely. You know, I would tell your daughter, which I hope to meet someday, as well as any, you know, young girl along the way is that when you see someone such as let's just say you see me when I come to a school and I've got a crown on my head or I just look like that I'm pageant perfect and there's nothing there. I want them to see all the work that I went along the way, all the naysayers, all the people who told me I couldn't accomplish those things, that this wasn't just something that was a snap of the finger happen overnight. And that very often in social media and other influences that I know they love, they see this highlight reel and they don't see the hard work, the many years the content that went through, the work that went involved to get there. And I would tell them that in anything in life that's worth fighting for requires a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, and a lot of people surrounding you to cheer you up. It takes a village to raise a child. So why would it never be the same, whether your dream is to be a naval officer or to be an orthodontist or to even be a pageant queen? I, I would venture to tell you I've got at least five to 10 people that I reach out to in each of those areas because in different parts of your life, you grow and you change. And sometimes you outgrow those mentors, but you also have to recognize that you wouldn't get there to, to that place without someone helping you. And also to pay that forward. There's several officers who, female officers are in our orthodontic community that I uh, mentored that are now orthodontists. And it's so, like, it fills my heart so much because we'll do cases together. I have a couple right now, I talk about cases and they'll make me look at things differently. It's just such a humbling opinion. But I would, I would tell your daughter, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your friends want to do. It also doesn't necessarily make a difference what your parents want to do, even though your parents do love you and they care for you. Ultimately, it's what you want to do when it's what you're willing to put in the time and the effort. And it, it shouldn't matter to anyone else. It, it can't matter to anyone else except for you. And um, when, whatever it is that she decides to do, you know, I, we all have these ideas and, and notions that can be rather fleeting, but if it's something that she really has a goal that she looks at, she dreams about, she breathes about, she has it on a vision board, it, it does come to, come to life. And I could, if I just move my computer down a couple of rooms and showed you my vision board, it's always, I'm always in awe of some of the things that I caught out earlier in my life and how they actually matriculated later on in my life. And I had no idea, but that subconscious of, of you telling you that you can get there. So those would be just a few things I'd share with her. Yeah, it's beautiful. So what you're saying is, is I can't, I can't live my life vicariously back through my daughter. I'm not allowed to do no, that. No, sir. <laughs> Sorry. You, you can be her biggest cheerleader. You can be her biggest cheerleader, her campaign manager, and, and being a great father along the way is, is all that she needs because every girl needs her daddy. I, I try and do the subliminal uh, implantation with it. It's kind of funny. Like, I, you know, I, I make fun of. Uh, I make fun of her all the time thinking, imagine if I was your old man. And in the gym the other day, we're doing, uh, we're doing burpees and we're doing burpees onto a box jump. So you know what a burpee is, right? So you jump yeah, up onto I the box. Several this morning. <laughs> yeah. So and then, then as we go down onto the ground and do the push up and then jump back up, that's one. But I make her say one airborne and then jump on the box, two airborne, oh. three airborne, four airborne. <laughs> And then, and then every now and then, it's funny, like uh, uh, she said, said to me, I said, oh, I've got a meeting at 4.30 this afternoon. I'm not going to be able to go to the gym with you in the afternoon after school, but we're going to go when I get back probably around 
is that okay? And she's like, oh, she's trying to wriggle out of it, right? Oh, no, Dad, I don't want to do this. And I said, remember, just just remember, and I make her recite the role of the infantry to me, just remember every now and then you might have to seek out and close with the enemy, kill or capture, to seize and hold, and she's like repeating the role of the Australian infantry to me as I'm doing it with her. And I, I play these little infantry military games with her like that, and she plays along, I think, just to appease me. But it's such a beautiful thing to watch her interaction mature with my interaction and she knows that I'm just teasing and playing along and encouraging and whatnot as well. And it's also a really beautiful thing to see her developing into her own person, trying to figure out her way in the world because she's not really sure what she wants to do. I don't want to be in the military, Dad. I don't want to be in the infantry. I don't care what you say and I don't want to do these things. And I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, just mucking around with her. And uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a really nice, nice sentiment that you've got saying there. Yes, I, you know, and I never dreamed I would join the military. They they paid for school and it, I, I love what I do. I don't know if I could be in the infantry or the airborne doing what you've done. So thank you also for your service because for me, um, I love wearing scrubs. And as my brother says, he goes underwater in summer and he's like, I don't know, sis, I don't know if you're in the real Navy. I'm like, yeah, but I take care of everyone. So. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. I'm in the Navy. I wear the uniform. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Corinne, I, I just want to shift gears here a little bit and, and I'm going to bring this, uh, this segment full circle because I think this is important. Um, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you were talking about leadership and you were also talking about service and you mentioned that you've been to Afghanistan and to Iraq. Tell me about some of the experiences that you'd had on operations. Where have you been? Um, I've actually just been to Kuwait and Iraq and that was for Iraq, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Mm -hmm. And it was back in 2009 that I went and I was a general dentist deployed. I have to say it was definitely one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. I mean, here I am walking into the country with uncharted minefields, not knowing if my next step's gonna be my last on a base of 30,000 people and being one of 25 female officers. Gosh. So it was definitely a culture shock. I remembered, you know, telling my friends, I don't think I ever need to worry about getting cold because it would get to like 133 degrees, like Fahrenheit, uh, sandstorms were a daily occurrence. So that was my microdermabrasion. I think I was set for the next few years. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I, I learned to just, I, it was nice in some way that you could kind of put a pause in other areas of your life and just focus on what was really important and I made some good friends I fell in love with reading again and definitely some culture lessons my first patient was an Iraqi security force colonel who thought I was someone's 12 year old daughter <laughs> and their country female providers do not treat male patients right. however they know our care is superior than what they would get and so I'm not sure what the translator said because I had some very choice words but he opened his mouth and I took care of him <laughs> so that was definitely definitely an eye-opening experience I've been wanting to deploy ever since but as an orthodontist there was not very many of us 20 of us I keep getting told no I'm either too senior in rank or I'm too specialized but maybe one day they'll let me go because I, I keep asking <laughs> yeah nice did you go to Afghanistan as well no, I didn't make it to Afghanistan because I got selected for residency. So ah. as we were shifting to Afghanistan, I had to come back to go to school. So I was replaced by a reserve unit a few months before I left to go to Texas for residency. Yeah, and can, yeah. is there is there one or two really big things that you took away from your deployment in theater there? Like, is there something that really stands out to you? Because I know from the operational deployments that I did, there's a couple of really big standout moments for me. I would definitely say one of the things that had stood out was just my sense of faith. It was definitely challenged on numerous fronts over there. And I was really grateful that the military has chaplains that are so prevalent in our community. They actually is a chaplain corps. And I was so grateful that they helped me 
understand some of the stories from the Bible and emulate it like the book of Esther, which she was a beauty queen. She was a pageant queen that like saved her, <laughs> you know, saved Jerusalem. And I really, that really strengthened my faith. Uh, so that was definitely one lesson that I took. And also the other lesson I took was that no matter the service you do for other people's, it's, it's something. And so very often I remembered having to use fishing string to save a gentleman's front tooth, a Marine who got into an altercation. And I felt like, gosh, I'm not able to do everything I wanted to do because I didn't have the tools. I'm in a very austere environment. I mean, let's be honest. I pat my shoulder and sand goes everywhere. Mm. And, you know, you're prescribing antibiotics like it's, you know, Skittles. Yeah. But at the same time, you just remember that you're over here, that if you're, you know, just saving someone's tooth or saving someone, getting someone out of pain is still something, even if you can't do everything that you're capable of, you just may not have the equipment or the supplies to do so. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, sense of service, once you, when, when you're in the military and you, you're not, you don't go anywhere, you don't do anything. And unfortunately, the Australian Defence Force doesn't really go a lot of different places. That's just because we're a defence force. We're not on the offensive all the time. And we just don't have the resources of many other governments around the world. These days, it's a little bit different. We do participate in a whole lot more stuff. But the sense of service that I felt on the operations that I was lucky enough to be part of is not like anything else that I've ever experienced since I left the military. That's purely because of what you said, where you're in theatre on operations in an AO, where 100% of your attention is on what it is that you're doing. There's no time to think about anything else. There's no time to think about home or what's going on, You know, maybe in some downtime and a bit of quiet time or something like that for sure. But the sense of service that you have is quite different and uh, it really becomes part of who you are and the makeup of your character as a person, right? 100%. I came back from deployment. There were certain things in my life that just, they didn't matter to me. They didn't, yeah. they, they weren't as important anymore because you, you learn to just, you know, make the most. And it's all about the camaraderie. Like you said so well, the people, the fact that these people would catch your bullets for you, they would do anything they can to take care of you because I was their doctor. I mean, it was just Miraculous. I, I feel so grateful to be part of the unit I was part of. And also come back learning some Marine Corps knowledge. I got my fleet Marine Force Warfare insignia. So I understand more about the Marines than I did about the Navy. So, which has definitely served me even today being at a Marine Corps base. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? That's kind of cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, let's take a little break. I think uh, you and I could go on this podcast for like hours if we really wanted to. So this has been a, a lot of fun hanging out with you for an hour or so here. And, and if you'd be so inclined, I'd love to invite you back to do one in and around leadership because I think that's a really important topic to cover. Would you be up for that? Absolutely. 100%. It would truly be an honor to come back to your show, Rob. All right. Awesome. What's next for you? What's on the horizon for you? You Back in Japan, you've got a couple of years to rotate through there. Is, is there some fun things at the Olympics? You mentioned that. Is, that's going ahead as well. That sounds exciting. Yes, uh, knock on what I truly hope it happens this summer because I would love to go. I actually, one of my pageant friends is competing in the UK in uh, weightlifting. Oh, so, wow. I, you know, there might be some, I might still be holding in my American flag sitting in the UK section, but <laughs> I'm, I hope to go to that. Um, actually, right now, a couple of things I'm working on is writing a book. 
it's something that has been on my mind. A lot of people have asked me, inquired about it. So we have that going on. And then also just um, really just building my network with podcasts because I love listening to podcasts. I don't even listen to the radio anymore. I haven't for years. It's what I listen when I cook, when I'm getting ready. And I truly hope when I'm able to travel that um, outside of Japan, that I can actually come down to your neck of the woods because I have some great people in Australia that I would love, love to reconnect with. Well, that's awesome. And when you come down here, make sure you look me up and we'll look after you. We'll take you out and uh, and we'll show you around. So I'd love to uh, show you the sights of Sydney. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. So uh, is there anything that we left out on today's podcast that you wanted to cover? Because we covered a lot of ground. We talked about a lot of different things. And I just wanted to give you a chance to, uh, to, to pop in anything there that we might have left out. You know, something that I would I would tell people that has always helped me be very successful and even today is, you know, I have a couple quotes or words that I have for the year and that's really what's helped me stay focused on my goals. But um, one of the things that is always kind of resonant me with is, is Dr. Seuss. He's definitely a children's book story. And one of the things he said that I learned from my father is that always remember you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think, and twice as beautiful as you ever imagined. And I think that's something that needs to be said, not just to uh, the young women that I meet in my life, like your daughter, but so many others, especially during the time that we have um, right now in our new world, as we're navigating to what will be hopefully a better and more healthier and safer place. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment there, Corinne. If there's, if someone wants to connect with you and, and reach out with you, what's the best way to do that? So there's several ways they can reach me. One is at my email, which is drcorindevin at gmail.com or Instagram, which is drcorindevin as D-R-C-O-R-I-N-N-E-D-E-V-I-N or on Facebook, drcorindevin. I do have a YouTube channel that I'm slowly building that I hope to launch someday. But being in the military, there is a lot of rules and regulations that I have to go by. So in the meantime, um, those the three areas that I just mentioned uh, first are the best way to reach me. And I'd love to connect, help you if you have any questions about pageants, dentistry, orthodontics, life in the Navy, you name it. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to share the resources and the people that helped me get to where I'm at today. Yeah, that's good stuff. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to connect with Corinna right there in the show notes. So you won't have to go digging around in Google for them. And I'll pop her email in there for you as well. So if you want to reach out, make sure you connect with her. And likewise, if you want to connect with me, just head over to the Goalin website and you can send me a message through the contact page there, or you can connect with me via the Instagram worlds as well. My handle is rob.brus77. Send me a message there and I'll get back to you right over there. Dr. Corinne, it's been an absolute pleasure to host you here on the Goalian Podcast. Thank you so much for your energy. Thank you so much for your love of life and your wisdom and your knowledge. I always like to give my guests the opportunity for the parting comment, a final piece of wisdom from Corinne. What have you got for us today? Remember, every day is a new day. And no matter what the day was before, each day will just be better and better. And just think of how you bring the world a better part of you. So that's what I would say. Yeah, beautifully said. Thanks again for coming on. We look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. 